0: Good morning, this is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. This morning we continue our study in the book of Revelations in the set of sermons that I have dubbed the Final Countdown. Today we're going to be teaching from Revelation chapter 16 verses 1 through 9, the Final Judgment. You know, there is no denying the fact that the book of Revelation is a book of judgment. It's also a book of love. If you notice in our preceding sermons that even while God is angry, he's still in the business of saving souls. But now that time has past, He's no longer an angry father who punishes his children so they will return to the ways that he has given them. He is now a very angry and very just God. God has a plan of judgment for all those who have rejected him. Let's read from God's word, the seven bowls of God's wrath. Beginning with chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and that you have given them the blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief "'Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed "'so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed.' "'Then they gathered the kings together "'to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. "'The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, "'and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, "'It is done.' "'Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, "'peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. "'No earthquake like it has ever occurred "'since mankind has been on the earth. "'So tremendous was the quake.' The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky came huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, and they fell on the people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hell, and because the plague was so terrible. You know, while there's passages here that allow for rejoicing in the chapters of this book, Revelation is still a chronicle of God's final judgment of sin, sinners, and Satan. In Revelation, there's a series of three judgments, which are executed in seven stages each. These are the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and finally the seven bow judgments. As the judgments progress, the intensity and severity of the judgments increase, Remember the number seven. Seven is the number of God's fulfillment. Seven is the number of God's completion. The number seven is widely used throughout Revelation, including in reference to the seven churches, seven bowls, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven spirits of God, seven stars, seven lampstands, seven eyes, seven horns of the Lamb of God, seven horns of the dragon. I think you get the idea. We have arrived at the final set of judgments. In Revelation chapter 15 verse 7, it shows one of the four beasts giving to seven angels seven bows full of the wrath of God. And just a reminder, the word here full means to swell. It's the image of a dam under pressure that's nearing its bursting point. This is a good description of the wrath of God. You know, ever since Adam sinned in Eden, the wrath of God against sin and sinners has been building. The grace and mercy of God have served as a powerful dam which held that wrath in check. In the judgments of the revelation, the dam of God's wrath burst and a Christ-rejecting world is swept away in the wave of judgment that issues forth. Up to this point, God has always tempered his wrath. God has been faithful to honor the request of some of his prophets. But now the time for judgment has come. There will be mercy no longer. The wrath of God is about to be poured out. God is preparing to commence his final judgment on the earth. In Revelation chapter 14 verse 10, John writes, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. In these verses, the world is about to experience the undiluted wrath of an offended God. In verse 1, God issues the command for the angels to begin pouring out the bowls filled with his wrath upon the earth. This message and the next will consider the seven bowl judgments in detail. Let's examine these verses together as I preach on the subject. The final judgment commences. Let's look at the plagues. When the first bowl is poured out, All those who have worshipped the beast and who have received his mark are afflicted with sores in the bodies. The word sore here literally means an ulcer. It has the image of an open, running, ulcerated place on the skin. It could easily refer to an oozing boil. These sores are noisome. The word means of a bad nature, troublesome or injurious. They are also described as grievous. This word refers to something that is annoying, painful or bad. These two words reveal that these sores will be extremely painful, festering, and incurable. No doubt the greatest medical minds of the age will do their best to find a cure, but they will fail. There will be no cream, no poultice, or no drug that will bring relief to the people suffering with these boils. A sore on the outside is a sign of rottenness on the inside. God is clearly revealing the condition of these lost sinners. He's putting them on display with the corruption of their hearts to the corruption in the bodies. These people have rejected God and his Christ, and they must face him in judgment. These festering ulcers bring to mind the ancient plagues in Egypt. The sixth of these plagues is found in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. In that plague, the people of Egypt suffered from incurable, painful boils all over their bodies. This seems to be the same kind of physical problem that Job experienced in Job chapter 2, verse 7. Just as it was in ancient Egypt, these boils only afflict the enemies of God. Those who are trusting the Lord are spared his judgment. Let's look at the plagues in the sea. When the second bow is poured out, the waters of Earth's oceans are corrupted and become like the putrid, fetid blood of a corpse. Back in Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, when the second trumpet judgment was administered, one third of the ocean was affected. Here, the cataclysm is worldwide. When this plague is poured out, every creature in the sea will die, the seas will become vast cemeteries. Beaches will no longer attract the sun-worshippers or the pleasure-seekers. Beaches will reek with the stench of of death, and instead of being thronged with clouds of sunbathers, the world's beaches will be choked with the rotting carcasses of billions of dead sea creatures. This kind of plague plague has been seen in the miniature in our world. Occasionally, something called a red tide will occur. You know, John Phillips vividly described this phenomenon in his commentary on the Book of Revelation. From time to time, off the coast of California and elsewhere, a phenomenon known as the red tide occurs. These red tides kill millions of fish and poison those who eat contaminated shellfish. In 1949, one of these red tides hit the coast of Florida. First the water turned yellow, but by midsummer it was thick with countless billions of tiny one-celled organisms. 60-mile rows of stinking fish fouled the beaches. Much marine life was wiped out, and even bait used by fishermen died on the hooks. Eventually, the red tide subsided, only to appear again the following year. Eating fish contaminated by the tide produced severe symptoms caused by potent nerve poison, a few grams of which, distributed right, could easily kill everyone in the world. An unchecked population of these tiny, toxic, one-celled creatures would kill all the fish in the sea. Only when this occurs, this time, the entire world will be affected. When you consider the fact that 70% of this planet is covered by oceans, you can think how great this plague will be. Imagine the impact this will have on the environment. Most of the rainwater the Earth receives comes from moisture that evaporates from the oceans of the world. No more evaporation means greatly diminished rainfall on the Earth. This will cause a drought of worldwide proportions. Consider the fact that this world is largely dependent on the oceans for its food supply. Billions, billions of people, billions, receive the abundance of their daily food supply from the ocean. Without this source of food, millions will face starvation. Not only will food supplies be drastically affected, but so will commerce and shipping. The socioeconomic impact of this plague will devastate the earth. You see, one by one, God is tearing down all the things that men take for granted. First, their health is destroyed. Then the oceans are destroyed. The coastal regions of every nation in the world will become abandoned wastelands as the oceans are transferred, transformed into vast seas of death. But we're not done. Let's look at the plagues in the streams. You see, when the third bowl is poured out, the fresh water sources of this world are stricken. Again, we saw this miniature back in Revelation chapter eight, verses ten through eleven, when one third of the world's fresh water supplies were poisoned when a comet or a meteor or some other heavenly body fell into them. Here they turned to blood. By the time this plague is poured out on the earth, the world has become absolutely bloodthirsty. Millions of martyrs have been slain by the Antichrist and his forces. Millions of saints have, been, have had their blood shed by the enemies of God. He honors their desire for blood by giving them blood to drink. When Jesus was here, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. That miracle was designed to draw men to him. Here, he turns the water into blood to remind men of him. One by one, the Lord is removing every prop, Every comfort, everything mankind leans on for support and takes for granted. The plague reminds us of the first of the ten plagues in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 through 24, the fresh water in the land of Egypt was turned to blood, and men searched in vain for water to quench their thirst. In this judgment, every source of fresh water in the world is turned to blood. Whether it's a spring, a well a municipal water system, whatever it is, the world's fresh water supply will be taken away. Our bodies can survive several weeks without food, but only about three days without water. Can you imagine a world with no water? A faucet is turned on and instead of cool, clean, thirst-quenching water, outpours putrid, foul, deadly blood. No doubt death from disease and thirst will skyrocket during these horrible, in evil days you know when this plague comes the angels praise God for his wisdom in sending this judgment the world is merely reaping what it has sown if you look at Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 9 the world has been guilty of murdering God's people and God's preachers and they are given blood to drink in return another angel declares the righteous nature of God's judgments our human minds cannot comprehend the judgment of these verses we shrink back from them and we think that they're horrible. We recoil when we think about people having to suffer like people will suffer during the tribulation. We might even, t- might even tell that there must be a better way. We see, one day when we're home in glory and our minds have been transformed and glorified, we will see things from God's perspective. Then we will understand just how hateful and horrible sin truly is. We will feel as God feels. We will think as he thinks and we will understand. In fact, I'm 100% sure that we will voice our own amens as he judges the world that has denied him and defiled his creation. We will understand that the time for judgment has come. We will know that the only thing that has held judgment off for this long has been the pure grace of God. When judgment comes, we can rest assured that God will judge the right individuals in the right amount in the right way. And he can do nothing but the right thing. As Genesis chapter 18, verse 25 says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Let's look at the plagues in the sun. If the fourth plague touches the sun, its heat is allowed to burn the bodies of men. The word scorch here means to be burned with heat, to be tortured with intense heat. By some means, God will allow the heat of the sun to be intensified and the bodies of men to be burned. This universe is an amazing place. I've studied science since I was a small child. God created everything and placed it exactly where it needed to be. You know, the sun is some 93 million miles away from this earth. It sits at exactly the precise distance to allow life to exist on this planet. If the sun were any closer, we'd be burned up. If the sun were any farther away, we'd freeze to death. God placed it exactly where it needs to be. And every time I look at the mark of his creation, I look and wonder, how could he do the things that he has done? As one of my professors in London once said, God is the greatest physicist that has ever been known or ever will be known. The sun is a giant nuclear reactor. It's so large that 1.3 million of our earths could fit inside of it. It's hot. The surface of the sun is nearly 10,000 degrees. If that heat were to hit the earth with full force, the planet would burn up instantly. Surrounding the earth is a band of radiation called the magnetosphere. This radiation band filters out the rays of the sun, allowing exactly the right amount of heat and light to enter our atmosphere. Can you imagine what would happen if that magnetosphere were diminished? See, during this plague, God will either turn up the heat of the sun or allow more of its heat to enter the Earth's atmosphere. As a result, men will experience intense burns in their bodies. You know, the pain of a sunburn can be an intense and nagging pain. Imagine having this pain intensified many times over. Imagine the agony that will result from this plague. You see, another of mankind's crutches is kicked out from under him. Since the dawn of time, the sun has risen every morning, I said every evening. It has yielded life-giving, dependable heat and light for thousands of years. One day, mankind will awaken to a sun that will blaze down in flaming heat. It will scorch their bodies. It will be nothing compared to the pain they will feel when they're cast into hell's fire. This is just a warning of something far more terrible and final. So in Revelation chapter 5, the Lamb of God took a seven-sealed book from the hand of his Father. This book represented the title deed to the planet Earth. Jesus owns this world because he created it out of nothing. He owns this world because he redeemed it when he died on the cross. When Jesus took that seven-sealed book, he began to open the seals. And when he did, the tribulation period began on the Earth. By the time we reach these verses, the world has been smiting under the wrath of a holy God for seven years. Now the tribulation is about to come to the end. As the final three seals are open, God prepares to conclude his judgment on this world and on its inhabitants. When the events of the final three judgments are concluded, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, will return to the earth in glory and power. He will take possession of the throne of this world and he will rule in righteousness. These last three plagues set the stage and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. When Jesus returns, he will finally receive the glory and honor that he deserves. Here's what the Bible says about it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Today, the Lord Jesus is rejected, maligned, and hated by the world. That hatred is only going to intensify as the days go by and grow more and more evil. Let's look at the plague on the beast. You know, up until now, the beast has been somewhat sheltered from direct attack. When this fifth bow is poured out, it's directed at the very seat of his power, Like Pharaoh in ancient Egypt, the Antichrist, with all his power, is helpless against the judgment of God Almighty. This plague begins at the very throne room of the Antichrist and then spreads to cover his entire kingdom. He may be a very powerful ruler, energized and supported by Satan, but he is helpless to defend himself against the God of heaven. The light is darkened. When the fifth bold judgment is unleashed upon the world, the world is suddenly engulfed in darkness. This darkness is not the darkness we normally think of. It is the absolute inky blackness. The darkness will be so complete that nothing can penetrate it. Surely this darkness represents some change in the way the light reaches the planet. It also suggests that the power grids that we use to light the earth will be done away with. Whatever causes this darkness, it will be so severe and it will be complete. See, this supernaturally imposed darkness is a tangible representation of the darkness that has already engulfed this world. The world has already rejected the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, because they love darkness rather than light. This world chose moral, spiritual, intellectual, and emotional darkness over the light that was available in the person of Jesus Christ and in the word of God. They favored darkness over light, and God gives them more darkness than they've ever bargained for. We're also told that when this darkness descends, men will literally chew their tongues because their pain is so great. The combined misery of the sores in their bodies, starvation from the ruined oceans, the lack of drinkable water and terrible burns they have suffered from the intense heat of the sun all combine to cause the inhabitants of the earth to writhe in pain. What we see here is a tiny glimpse of hell. God is letting the Antichrist and his followers know what is waiting for them because they have rejected Jesus. Once in speaking of hell, Jesus said this, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verse 30. What we see here is a small glimpse of what those who reject Jesus will face when they go to hell. You know, if you've never been saved, you need to pay attention to what the Bible is saying. There is a real place called hell and real people will spend a real eternity in real judgment there. Do not turn your back on the light. Come to Jesus and be saved or one day you will find yourself in this horrible place called hell. Then the lessons are declared. When the plagues come, when the pains come, You would think that people would have enough sense to repent of their sins and turn to God. Not these people. They shake their puny fists in the face of God and they curse him and blaspheme him. What a tragedy. But what a window into the human heart. There are those who tell us that mankind is bad, but there's a spark of the divine within him. They believe that man fell when Adam sinned, but that his fall was not complete. The fact is, man is totally depraved. That does not mean that he's as bad as he can be at all times. It does mean that there is no spiritual good in mankind at all. Man left to himself will only grow more and more corrupt. If the judgment proves anything, it proves the absolute sinfulness of humanity. It proves that man is an incorrigible sinner and that salvation is totally the work of grace. It proves that even when man is confronted with the power and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will not repent of his sins. It proves the salvation of the Lord in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, and people just don't get religion or turn to Jesus. It proves that salvation requires direct divine intervention. If God did not come to us on a personal basis, convict us of our sins, quicken our dead spirit, and save us by his grace... In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, as it depicts, we would all go to hell. You see, the same rebellion and hatred of God would be revealed in you and me were it not for the grace of God. When people die and go to hell, we have the image of them trying to get saved as they confess their sins and cry out to Jesus. I don't believe it'll be that way. Look at the rich man in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There's no hint of remorse over the life that he lived, there's only sorrow over the sentence he received. When people go to hell, they will lift their voices in blasphemy against God. They will curse him, and even his judgment will not bring them to a place of repentance. May God help this world. Then there's a battle plan. The sixth bowl is poured out on the earth, and it sets the stage for the battle of Armageddon. When this angel pours out this bowl, we're told that the Euphrates River will dry up. The Euphrates begins in Turkey at Mount Ararat and flows south through Iraq and into the Persian Gulf. This river, which is roughly 1,700 miles long and 3,600 feet wide at places, has been, for, as it has been for centuries, is the dividing line between the East and the West. As we know, no river re- really poses a problem for a modern, mechanized army, but God will remove every obstacle and prepare the way for a massive invasion of the Middle East. How could this river be dried up? And considering the fact that the oceans and all fresh waters have been turned to blood, the amount of rainfall the Earth has received been dra- dramatically reduced. Some have speculated the water levels will be far below normal anyway. Add to this the fact that many dams have been built along the river, it would be very easy for human engineers to cut off the water. However, the fourth bow intensified the heat of the sun. This would cause the snow and the ice cap on Mount Ararat to melt, causing the Euphrates to overflow its banks. Either way, it will be a result of divine intervention. God will speak, and the waters of the Euphrates will cease to flow so that a massive army can pass. We're told that the vast eastern army will use the highway created by the drying up of the Euphrates River to move toward Israel. The intention of this army is the total destruction of Israel. The phrase kings of the east literally means the kings of the rising sun. This reference has caused many to specul- speculate that China and our allies will be the source of this army. Back in Revelation chapter 9, verse 16, the Bible speaks of an army that numbers some 200 million. Only one nation on earth could raise an army of that size, and that's China. However, I would like to propose a different interpretation. The way things are shaping up in our world, we are headed toward a showdown between Islam and the Jews. Ever since the United Nations took Palestinian lands and gave it to the Jews, there's been a conflict in that region. The Arab nations that surround Israel have repeatedly tried to oust the Jews from Palestine, and they have failed in every attempt. They outnumbered sometimes seven to one. The Israelis have defeated their Arab enemies every time they met on the field of battle. This has created great hostility in the hearts of many of the Arab nations. Imagine returning home to a land that's been in your family for centuries only to find someone else living there and you and your family evicted with no place to go. The Arabs hate the Jews and they long for the total destruction of the nation of Israel. I think that's what we're seeing in these verses. You know, while Islam paints itself in colors of peace and love, the religion also calls for the death of all Jews and Christians. Anyone who's not a Muslim is an infidel in their eyes and infidels must either repent or die. Now, let me, let me read you a couple of quotations from the Quran. Quran 59, verse 14 says, The Jews are devoid of sense. There is a grievous punishment awaiting them. Satan tells them not to believe, so they will end up in hell. Koran ch- 4, verse 55, Sufficient for the Jew is the flaming fire. Quran 88, verse 1, Has the narration reached you of the overwhelming calamity some faces, all disbelievers, Jews, and Christians that day will be humiliated, downcast, scorched by the burning fire while they are made to drink from a boiling hot spring. You know, this, these, these words are what some of the extremists believe when they read the Koran. It would be for radical Islam to field a massive army bent on the annihilation of the Jews and their state. It may be Islam that leads the final fatal jihad against the nation of Israel. When this judgment is poured out, three frogs are seen coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Frogs are unclean creatures and are used here to refer to evil spirits or demons. Their mouth is a source of influence. So it seems that Satan will inspire the worlds of these hellish world leaders, and they will whip their followers into a frenzy for a final assault against Israel. The final war will be satanically inspired and energized. On the heels of this judgment, there's a heavenly announcement made. Ever since Jesus ascended back into heaven, it has been prophesied that he would return. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Seven years prior to these events, Christ did return and received his bride into heaven. That was the rapture. This verse is referring to the second coming. Jesus is telling his precious people to hang on just for a little longer. His coming has been imminent and has become immediate. He is at the door. The saints of God are encouraged to keep the faith for a few more days. The Lord is coming. He's coming like a thief. Let's look at Armageddon. This army has been assembled by Satan to destroy the people of God. The devil still thinks that he's in control. A quick glance at the scripture paints a different picture altogether. Verse 14 tells us that this army is being gathered to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And verse 16 says, he gathered them together. Satan may think he's in control of these events, but the real ringmaster is God himself. He gathers the nations of the world in the valley of Megiddo so he might engage them and destroy them in one moment of time. Then we come to the seventh bowl. The seventh bowl is poured out. When it is, the awful wrath of God and his judgments against the earth are ended. Also, in his final judgment, this whole world system is destroyed. Since the dawn of time, man has moved in rebellion to God. He's rebelled in his personal life, his public life, his political life, and his productive life. In these verses, the entire world system is brought crashing down, and man is left with nothing as Babylon is plundered. As this bow is poured out, a voice from the throne says, It is done. This statement signifies the fact that the judgment has reached an end. The Lord Jesus is on his way. He's prepared to take back everything that Adam lost in the fall. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried, It is finished. There he announced his victory. Here he cries, It is done. Here he announces his verdict. He cries out in judgment. The goes on to say that a great earthquake will devastate the world. Earthquakes have been a part of living in this world. It's always been with us. Earthquakes happen around the world on a daily basis. Most, thankfully, occur unnoticed by the inhabitants of the world. Some, however, have brought profound loss of life and severe damage. We all remember the earthquake in December 2004 that triggered a tsunami that devastated the South Pacific. To get an idea of how powerful this earthquake was, consider the fact that all the atomic and nuclear tests throughout history only equal about 510.4 megatons. The South Pacific quake was 64 times larger than all the nuclear explosions combined. Dr. Kenneth Trevette wrote that this earthquake and tsunami that hit Seward, Alaska in 1964 was so massive, it deposited a cargo ship on top of a mountain several thousand feet inland. Fourth Avenue, the main street in Anchorage at that time, dropped 15 feet, swallowing whole cars into a crevasse. The entire Anchorage neighborhood of Turnagain slid into the cook arm of the Prince William Sound, and that was only a 9.0 quake. And then Babylon is judged. We'll see this fleshed out in greater detail in chapters 17 through 18, but for now we need to understand that the seat of the Antichrist's power and the seat of the false prophet's power will be destroyed. This city and the system behind it will suffer more than the rest of the world. We see that the islands and mountains are destroyed. Entire topology of this world will change. Continents will shift. Islands will be swallowed up in massive tsunamis and mountains will crumble. Gigantic hailstones will fall on man. A talent was about the weight a full-grown man could reasonably lift. A talent weighed somewhere between 100 and 125 pounds. Can you imagine 125-pound balls of ice raining from the sky? Anything that hits will be destroyed. Houses, cars, everything of value will be totally wiped out. And then finally, all the sinners are revealed. Even after all they've been through, the inhabitants of this world will refuse to repent. They continue to blaspheme God. It's hard to imagine that the human heart can be so hard. Yet the condition of sinners under judgment proves that lost people are totally depraved and will not repent. You know, we read the Bible, and we understand that these plagues are God's judgment on sinners who refuse to come to Him for salvation. These plagues are designed to judge those who have defied a holy God at every turn. We read it, we understand the source and the solution. And what strikes me as amazing is the fact that these people understand what's happening to them. They understand that God is behind these plagues. Instead of repenting in the face of wrath, they stand in continued defiance to Him and His will. You know, the problem here is not with God. The problem is clearly stated in verse 9, and they repented not to give him glory. They refused to repent of their sins to the glory of God, and they're paying a heavy price for the choice. If you put off salvation, die, and go to hell, you will have no one to blame but yourself. You can stop anywhere and call on the name of God and trust him for salvation if you would. The time for repentance is now. If you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus today. You need to be saved today. Listen to his voice and come as he calls you. I call your attention back to verse 15. Jesus is coming. His counsel is for people to be ready. We do not know when he will come. He may come today in the rapture. He may come for you today in death. If he were to come for today for you, would you be ready? Or would you be caught unprepared? Our time for invitation today is short. I would like to urge you, if you have not accepted Christ today, I urge you to do that and make it right with him. If you have accepted Christ and maybe you haven't lived a Christian life or you've fallen away, the door is always open. Come back. The world needs people to fight for God and help others receive Christ. We are in the middle of a spiritual war, and this is important. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry I don't have any more time today. If you made a decision for Christ, I would like to know about it. If you would, please send an email to ministry at ChristLives.org. May God keep you and bless you. Amen.